Um, it's good to see you guys this morning. It is great to, to sing of the greatness of God together. Um, well, this morning, as, we, uh, as we're finishing up chapter three uh, in Luke's gospel, well, it's amazing how brave you can get when, when you know you've got nothing to lose. Um, I, I've noticed this in myself when I climb a rock wall. Uh, I am, I, I will, I, I'm all about it. I'll, I'll, I'll climb the wall, I'll get up there, I'll scamper, I'll take risks reaching for things that maybe I can't reach. I'll go for it. Uh, because why? I've got a harness on. So if I fall, it's gonna be fun, actually. That's part of the fun of climbing a rock wall is that I get to actually fall down gracefully. Um, no harness, though, I'm on the ground. I'm good. Uh, I, uh, Dale Guger, one of our pastors, he, Dale, is, uh, Dale ha- they actually have a rock wall in their house. Uh, they moved into this old house and somebody had put a rock wall in it. And uh, it, that's, I mean, that's something to look for in your real estate ventures. Um, but uh, I, when I go over there to his house, I'm like, I'm good. I'm good. I'll let the kids do that. I, that, that could be a serious part. There's going to be a serious turn in my story arc if I were to get up on that uh, rock wall and meet the ground in a sudden way. Uh, so, uh, but but you're, you're, you're bold when you got a harness on. I've seen the same thing <clears throat> with my children as I've, uh, in, in teaching them to ride bicycles. Uh, I would jog next to them, kind of holding them by the, <clears throat> by the back of their shirt. And then surely, you know, as they're kind of getting the hang of it, you begin to release the grip a little bit till eventually you're not holding them at all. Um, and then there's always that oh no moment when they realize, oh, you're not holding me anymore. And then quickly down they go. Um, and, and as we look at today's passage, we're gonna get a rare glimpse at God the Father's loving care for his son. And, and as Jesus steps onto the scene for his baptism, I, I think there are many things we will see and can see about God's, God's love for the son and his love for us. And I want us to see four things in today's passage. Number one, you can't silence heaven. Number two, the father's son. And number three, what's his is ours. And then number four, the new man. Let me pray for us. Father, would you, would you move today amongst your people? Even as we have already sung about your goodness, about your kindness to us in the gospel, about how you forgive our sins. God, would you, would you now give us ears that would hear and not, not, just, not just that we would hear true things this morning, but that we would uh, be both hearers and, and doers that our hearing would lead to worship, that it would lead to trust in you, that it would lead to, um, to a walk with you uh, that is dependent upon your kindness and your care for us. Uh, so Father, do this today. We ask this by your spirit. Speak your words, not mine. And we ask this all in Christ's name, amen. One. I want to cough again. Perfect. Uh, number one, you can't silence heaven. You can't silence heaven. So before we got to this week's text, and at the end of last week, uh, it's interesting, I think, to consider uh, the end of this account with John the Baptist. 
Just three verses before this text in verse 18, we read this last week, uh, we, we read, then along with many other exhortations, he, John the Baptist, proclaimed good news to the people. But when John rebuked Herod, the Tetrarch, uh, because of Herodias, his brother's wife, uh, with all the evil things he had done, Herod added this to everything else. He locked up John in prison. Now, John the Baptist is still present uh, in this scene of Jesus' baptism. The actual imprisonment of John uh, comes a little later, but Lucas is kind of tying a bow on the story arc of John. This is Luke's way of saying, as Jesus steps into the frame, the ministry of John the Baptist is over. It has come to an end. John's work is done. And you know, John, as we talked about last week, was a prophet of God, faithfully proclaiming the truth of God's people, calling people to repent, preparing the way for the coming Messiah. And then there are two ways that people could receive such a message. There's two ways that we can receive that kind of a message uh, when we're called to repentance. Uh, number one, we can repent. We can turn from our sin and turn to God. Uh, this is what we talked about last week. G uh, John was urging people to true repentance. But then in verse 19, we can see what option two looks like. Option two is that instead of repenting, we can say everyone else is the problem. Your judgmentalism, that's the problem. The way you called me out, that's the problem. And so as John spoke the truth to Herod, calling him out for literally stealing his brother's wife, what does Herod do? He says, I'm tired of hearing this stuff. I don't wanna hear this truth anymore. And so I'll just shut up John. That's what he thinks. I'll throw him in prison. And of course, we know eventually, Herod has John killed. And notice, it's so interesting uh, that, that, that Luke doesn't really mention any of John's words in this baptism scene, even though we know from other accounts he spoke. Uh, but I don't think it's because Luke is trying to tell us that John's not important here. He's just saying he's done the work. He's proclaimed the Messiah. He's prepared the way. I think Luke wants us to see, you can take out the proclamation of the prophet. You can silence and cut down uh, the messenger of God. But even when you put your hand over the mouth of the prophet, heaven itself will speak. God himself will sound the trumpet for his son. The good news of God won't be thwarted. Kings and laws and Herods may speak or may seek to shut up and shut out the message of God, uh, but the king of the universe will just open heaven and speak. And hopefully that, that lets us breathe and relax a little bit. When you feel like the truth is being obscured, <clears throat> when evil seems to triumph, when God's purpose <clears throat> in the world is, is seemingly being muted and, and pushed aside, maybe instead of getting on social media and trying to correct all of the wrongs, just know this, that God will speak. No one can shut him up. John uh, was, was faithful, but even when he was silenced, God, God made his way known. He made his message known. Number two, the father's son. So now beginning in today's passage in verse 21, uh, we read that when all the people were baptized, Jesus also was baptized. 
this is funny because, because Luke, for all of his drawn out storytelling in chapter one and chapter two, I mean, it's, he, he tells the longest version of the coming of Jesus, right? He's, he, he just, he's so much detail, so many great uh, points and, and storylines. Um, and this is all we get of the baptism of Jesus. Uh, in the Gospel of John, we read uh, that John saw, John the Baptist saw Jesus coming and said, behold, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. In Matthew's gospel, we read uh, that, that uh, John the Baptist refused and didn't want to baptize Jesus at first. And Jesus said, no, you, you, uh, even though John said, you should be baptizing me, Jesus said, no, this is how it should be done. But don't let Luke's brevity here uh, conceal that something incredible is happening. What, what a phrase this is. Jesus also was baptized. There had been sinner after sinner coming into the water. And then Jesus also was baptized. But why? These others were coming to repent. They were turning from sin. They were convicted by John's preaching. Uh, But Jesus didn't need to repent. Uh, So why? Why is he being baptized here? In Matthew, John tries to stop Jesus. But Jesus says, no, this needs to happen. And here's why he says it. He says it needs to happen in order to fulfill righteousness, to complete something, to, to, to fill up something that's, that's lacking. Jesus didn't come because he had sin. He didn't come as a sinner. No, Jesus came to be with sinners. God with us. He was one of us. He came to bear our sin. He came so that his righteousness could then replace our sinfulness. And this kind of sets the tone for all of his ministry uh, the God-man is here and he's not standing up on some holy hill looking down on us, but no, here he is down in the water with us. He will go through everything we do. All of the strains of life like us, but without sin. The perfect lamb of God in the mess with us. What an exchange that he, that, that we could not fulfill the perfect law but that he would come and be with us to fulfill it for us. So in this introduction to Jesus, first we see Jesus lowering himself to identify with us. But then the second part of the introduction is God the Father shows us that Jesus is something totally different than us. And now this is the point, I think, in many origin stories when the lady in the water comes out and hands the mythical sword to our hero. I think there's stories like that. Uh, that, that this is, there's no, there's no one, there's nobody, there's no mythical swords here. Um, but, but instead, what we get something way cooler. We get, we get the, the proud father moment. Dad, so I don't know how many of you remember, I, I, you better remember, uh, when your first child was born. Uh, back before COVID, <clears throat> Uh, and even going further back before social media and all this, uh, the, 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 at least at least in my experience when we started having kids, like you could have you could have an army of people out in the waiting room. Like now, you can have like <clears throat> you and a friend. I mean, that's it's it's they they cut it down. Uh, but you've got all these people out in the waiting room, and so the minute the baby was born, what was your job as as the father? Your job was to run out and tell everyone she's here, she made it. Everyone's doing great. She's beautiful. She's wonderful. You're all going to see her in a little while, but she's wonderful. Um, my baby girl, she's here. But, but now it's, it's uh, you see, I mean, it's still cool. You don't get to come out and out. Now you, now you are responsible for taking all the pictures. 
and making sure that baby's first Instagram post is ready to go so that you can announce that she's here. Look at her. She's here. Earlier this year, uh, my, my son Judah was, was singing in the Tomball High School choir and we, we, they sang in this, uh, if you've ever been to the Patriotic Show, uh, it's Tomball, that Tomball does with the high schools together. It's pretty fantastic. Uh, but they're down, the, there's bands playing, the choir singing, or the, the, the uh, drill teams are doing their thing too. And there's this whole, just this whole presentation, fireworks. Uh, but they've got a camera guy down on the field. And of course the field's very far away. Like everybody, we're, we're straining to see everybody, uh, but there's a camera guy. And He's down there panning across. And so we're not watching the field. We're watching the Jumbotron. And we can see up on the Jumbotron <clears throat> as, as, uh, as he's scrolling across, uh, right when Judah shows up on the screen singing, I mean, we're listening to them sing, but we're looking at the Jumbotron. And when he shows up, our whole section of people that are there are like, yeah, there he is. That's my boy. That's him. And, and I don't want to overly personify this moment but as Jesus comes out of the baptismal water, Luke says, as, as Jesus began to pray at that very moment, the pleasure of the father just erupts. That's my boy. That's my boy. The love of the father for the son is spilling out into the creation. The pride of heaven is welling up. In verse 22, we read it. As he was praying, heaven opened and the Holy Spirit descended on him a physical, in a physical appearance like a dove. So first we see the Holy Spirit showing up in an actual physical form as a dove descending upon Jesus. And then in the next verse, the voice of the Father and a voice from heaven came from heaven. You are my beloved son. With you I am well pleased. That's my son, my boy, my beloved I'm so pleased with him. And look, you can read this however you'd like, uh, but I, I just want to encourage you, don't, don't read it as a script, right? It's, this is not, uh, is he out of the water? Uh, cue the heavens opening. Uh, now, release the doves. Is the father's mic on? <clears throat> this is not that moment. No, this, this is certainly God ordained this moment. But don't read this as some boring recitation. No, this is, this is a response from a good father, a response fit for the occasion. My son has gone public. He's great. Look at him. Let heaven and nature sing. Do you see my son? And I, I love that we get all three members of the Trinity here. The son in the water, <clears throat> the spirit descending, and the father speaking. Uh, this scene can correct a lot of bad theology. Don't, don't buy into cheap and, and strange understandings of the Trinity, that somehow the, that, that, the, that the three persons are just three forms or manifestations of God, three different ways he showed up, that the son is just a way that God shows up in the New Testament. No, here are three distinct persons of our triune God, all showing up at once, all fully God. And in this, we see the relational love and oneness within the Godhead. See the spirit making much of the son. See the love of God the Father for God the Son. What is it that pleases the Father? What does he rejoice in and delight in? The son. He delights in his son.
And as a, sad note, as a side note, I think there's perhaps no greater gift, uh, parents, that we could give to our children, that they would know that we love them, that we delight in them. And here it is, the heavenly father doing that very thing, bestowing upon his son his divine pleasure. Yes, the father was introducing Jesus to the world. I think, that's, I think there is a, an unveiling here. But notice who his words are directed toward. Who's he speaking to? He's speaking to Jesus. You are my beloved son. With you, I am well pleased. What sort of, what sort of affirmation do you think that, that gave to Jesus? Jesus was receiving uh, love Divine love from the Father, acceptance from the Father, the perfect presence of the Spirit. Think about how that was going to sustain him because he was, he was about to know the pain of, of hunger and isolation. He, he's, he was going to encounter uh, opposition, hatred. He was gonna know the scorn of rejection by his own people. He was gonna be crushed uh, by the betrayal of his own friend. All of this with death just looming over him. How can he withstand such things? How could he bear up and be sustained through that sort of pain and, and rejection? I believe it's because Jesus knew that, that whatever comes, the Father has me. I'm delighted in by him. The Father is available to him. He, he, Jesus knows I, I can go to him through prayer, I can go to him for strength that he could press on because he was fully loved and accepted by the Father. Yes, fully God, but also fully man and loved and, and held up by his Father. Number three, we see what's his is ours. Lawson and I got to go, uh, <clears throat> Pastor Lawson, if you guys don't know Lawson, he, I'm most, sure most of you do. If you don't, uh, Lawson and I spent... Um, uh, a week or a few days in, uh, at, a, at a Harbor Network uh, event uh, back in the fall. And uh, one of the other pastors that was there, John Stark, who's the pastor of Apostles Church in New York City, he gave a fantastic sermon on, on this very truth. And I had to go back to my notes and, and look, even as I prepared this week. And he, he shared a saying <clears throat> that, his, that has become a mantra of sorts for the people of his church. And the saying goes something like this. Uh, it's if you are in Christ, what is true of Christ is true of you. What belongs to Christ belongs to you. What a word, right? This is the sort of truth that I think can sustain us in our dark seasons of the soul. That can be sweet medicine to us in the midst of unimaginable pain. The love that Jesus has from the Father is yours. And the glory that he now has as he is with the Father can be yours one day as well. All that is available to Jesus is available to you. <clears throat> and this isn't just wishful thinking. This isn't just psychological feel-goodism. No, Jesus himself speaks like this throughout the Gospel of John. Listen to what he said in John 15 as he spoke to his disciples. He said, as the Father has loved me, I have also loved you. Remain in my love. 
In John 16, verse 27, he says, for the father himself loves you because you have loved me and have believed that I have come from God. And then as he spoke to the father, listen to what Jesus said as he prayed in his high priestly prayer in chapter 17, verse 26. He says, I made your name known to them and will continue to make it known so that the love you have loved me with may be in them and I may be in them. Later, uh, the apostle John and the apostle Paul would both write in their letters to the church about this love. John says in 1 John 3, see what great love the father has given us that we should be called God's children. And we are. And the Paul in Romans chapter eight, he did not even spare his own son, but gave him up for us all. How will he not also with him grant us everything? Christian, you are the beloved. Because of Christ, the Father is well pleased with you. The love of the Father for the Son is yours. And because of the love that we see from the Father to the Son here at Christ's baptism, you can also have that sort of confidence. And, 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 and if, we, if we would just know this and believe it, man, think about how that changes, how that changes how we live. Think of the confidence that that gives us. Think of the sturdy place to stand that it gives us. In our, in our world where a lot of things feel like, a lot of our hopes feel just like, sinks, like quicksand, like we're, like we're sinking, the love of God becomes a rock, a rock to stand on a firm place. It becomes a warm bed where we can rest from our striving. What if you lived your life as though this was true? As one who really knew and believed that God the Father has poured out his love on you and the Son. I believe if the, if the Father, if you believe the Father loves you, that he's well pleased with you, your failures won't destroy you. If his, if his love rests on you, if you believe in his love, <clears throat> then earthly successes don't define you. If the love of the Father is yours, then, then affection and attention from, from other people, that doesn't make or break you anymore. And if you know the love of the Father, then you won't hesitate to go to him. You won't hesitate to ask him. You believe that he is available to you, that he's not annoyed by you, that you can ask for his grace, for his strength, for his help. This means that if you're in Christ, you can make it. Whatever it is you're walking through, you can make it. I think a lot of hopes have been dashed over the last couple of years. There's a lot of disappointment, a lot of disillusionment. Uh, everything feels a lot more unstable than it once did. Uh, but, but know this, that if the love of the Father is, is yours, even when our previous hopes have, have gone away, true hope is never vanquished. It's never taken from us. There, there's literally nothing, not suffering, not failure, not family disharmony, not public ridicule, neither life nor death, nor things present, nor things to come, nor powers, nor height, nor depth, nor any other created thing that will be able to separate us from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus, our Lord.
If the love of the Father still belongs to Jesus, then it still is yours. It still belongs to you. And that means, that means you can love others. You can minister to others. Not for their approval, not so that to gain their love, but out of an overflow of the great love that's been poured on you with great confidence because you have been loved by the Father and you know that his love will endure. And not only is this true now, but it is true for our future. His future is yours. The future of the perfect son of God after he endured suffering is that he is now with the Father. And, and that future is yours. If you are in Christ, 2 Timothy chapter 2 and even in Revelation 20, we read that those who endure, that we also will then reign with Christ. Even now, Paul says in Ephesians 2, that you're seated with the Father in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus. Your place is secure with him forever. And then, and then we read later in that verse that in, in the age to come, that he's going to pour out the immeasurable riches of his grace to you and through his kindness to you in Christ Jesus. Why? It's all because of Christ, all because you are in Christ. The future that belongs to Christ, if you are in him, belongs to you. So glory is coming, even if now suffering. And just as the Father's love became the ground by which Jesus could walk through immeasurable suffering, we need the same ground of his love for our trials, for our rejection, for our suffering with Christ. Jesus was getting in this moment just a foretaste of the Father's eternal love. And guess what? He had known it from eternity past. And, and then he begins his earthly ministry, his incarnation as he steps forward. He didn't begin with, hey, I've got all these great skills. His ministry didn't begin with, I've, I've got a, ta a real talent for miracles. Um, it didn't begin with any other thing but the full felt pleasure of God. Jesus was going to be betrayed and killed by men, but he could endure because of the love of the Father. And Jesus, Jesus needed the love of the Father. He needed <clears throat> the love and acceptance found within the Trinity. So don't think that you need anything less. The Father was pleased with Jesus and because of Christ, he can be pleased with you. I hope that we'll feel that. I hope that we'll actually embrace that and believe it and not just turn back to, yeah, but I know he's gotta be disappointed with me. If I, if I can only do better tomorrow. No, let his love supersede every insecurity, every anxiety, every pain, every other false comfort. Let his perfect love spur you forward so that you can walk confidently. You can be confident to confess your sins. Because you know that his love and his forgiveness is yours. You can be confident to acknowledge that you actually do have limitations. Because you know that the Father's acceptance of you is not based on the fact that you have unlimited power. And you can be confident even to rest. Because you know that the Father's love is not based on what you can produce. Listen today to the voice of the Father. He is pleased with you because of Jesus. His, his love for his son is yours. And then lastly, 
Number four, we see the new man. It's, a, it's as though Luke ends this section by saying, okay, if the testimony of the father himself still doesn't convince you about who Jesus is, let me just show you the bloodline. And it's curious that this is where Luke drops the genealogy. Uh, he, he's already showed us the testimony of, of John the Baptist uh, as the prophet. He shares with us the testimony of the father's actual voice from heaven saying, this is my son. And now Luke is gonna go through the tedious work of a long legal listing of the genealogy of Jesus. And we're not gonna walk through each one. Uh, we, uh, that would, that, that we, already, we read them all, that was good. Um, and I don't even think that's the point that Luke is, is making for his, for, for, his, for his more Gentile audience. No, Luke is, is showing us something deeper than Christ's connection to David, Christ's connection to Abraham. I want us to fast forward to the end of the genealogy. So I think that's where it's leading us. And there we see two things about Jesus. Son of Adam, son of God. He was born of his father, Adam. This is what we said earlier, that he came to identify with us as a son of Adam. He came into our brokenness. And then one final step further, as the son of God. And this is what the voice of the father has just said, right? My beloved son. And I, I wanna end with this because the, the spirit really uh, kind of blew my mind with this as even as I was meditating and looking through this text this week. I, I think this, the Holy Spirit is painting a picture for us that, that I think should really set off some bells for us um, as we think about this in light of uh, the entire testimony of scripture. Think about this scene that we just saw, the baptism of Jesus. Uh, what other moment in scripture does this resemble? I, do you remember another time that the spirit descended over water? Probably you may, if you've, if, even if you, especially if you started your Bible reading at the beginning of the scriptures this year, Genesis chapter one, verse two, the second verse of the Bible, we read, now the earth was formless and empty. Darkness covered the surface of the watery depths and the spirit of God was hovering over the surface of the waters. In the creation story, the spirit hovers over the water. And God proceeds to speak into being heavens and earth, light and dark, land and sky, plants, animals. And at the pinnacle of his creative work, he brings forth man. And how does he do it? With his spirit, right? He breathes the, the breath of life. And the first man, Adam, was to have dominion on the earth, to rule and to reign, to bear the image of God in the world. And as God looked at the first man, the bearer of his image, he looked at what he had made and he said, it's very good. But you probably know how the story goes from there. The first man and the first woman, they fail. They sin. Adam be betrayed his created purpose and they plunged humanity into sin. They brought broken fellowship between man and his creator. And now with the creation in need of redemption, in need of saving, God the Father brings forth a new man. And as his spirit descends over the waters of Christ's baptism, we meet the new man, the perfect man, the new Adam. He, we read in Hebrews, is the exact representation 
of the Father. And this second Adam, he has come to set all things right. You see, this is more than a created being. No, the skies opened up and the Father declared, this is not merely the true and better Adam. No, this is my son. Fellowship with the creator had been broken for us, but not between the Father and the Son. And as the Father looked at the beauty of his Son, who was stepping forward to fulfill his ministry in the world, who would then go into the wilderness and be tempted to sin, right, by Satan. But unlike the first Adam, he would resist the temptation of the enemy. And as the Father looked at him, what did he say? He said, I'm very pleased. He said, I'm very pleased. This is... This is my son, I'm very pleased. This is a shadow of his words when he had looked at the the created work, when he had looked at Adam in Genesis and said, this is very good. You see, the redemption project is underway. And yes, all of these men in this list represent the supposed bloodlines of Jesus, men of great renown, but his blood is the only hope that any of these men had. For these fathers and every father that was to come, for every mother that has come and will come, for every son, every daughter, to all the fallen race of Adam, all who suffer and struggle due to the imputed sin of Adam and Eve, and because of their own sinful hearts, this Jesus, he is the one who will set all things right. One day, this second Adam, the son of God, his blood will break the curse of sin and death. He'll break the curse that started in Eden and he will make all things new. And when all things are new, it will be better than Eden. It'll be a new heaven and a new earth. And Christian, all that the new creation will be is yours because what belongs to Jesus belongs to you. And so I urge you today, Listen, don't ignore, but listen to the voice of your father. Because of Jesus, the pleasure of the father is on you. The love of the father is yours. The love that he has for his son, he has for you. And so may that truth, may it it level you today. May you feel it down to the core of who you are and may, may it set you free to live confidently because the Father loves you. To not be chained to the world's approval because the Father loves you. That's, that's like harness level confidence. You can do, you can, you can try things. You can actually do things for his glory and fail because he has you. You're in him. You can serve sacrificially. You can love others fully and extravagantly. You can even rest well because you are held by the love of the Father. The Father loves you. Because of Jesus, he is pleased with you. Let me pray for us. Father, with this truth that the love that you poured out on the son, that the, that the love within 
the Trinity, the mutual service and love and community that exists there, that that is ours because of Jesus. And that Jesus is ours because of your great mercy to us, your great uh, grace to us. Father, we didn't earn that. There's no way we could have deserved that. But yet you poured out your great grace on us anyway. Oh, how great your love. Father, would, we, would that be felt today? And would the knowledge of the love that the Father has for us, God, would that, would that set us free? Would you make us those that confess easily, that serve quickly, that worship boldly because of all that you have done for us by your love? And so lead us now as we continue in worship for what you've done. We pray this in Christ's name, amen.